You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning and welcome to Foothills Church. It's great to see you guys here. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 14. As you're going there, um, just a reminder that this afternoon, our think tank uh, uh, today at four o'clock, really focuses on developing the habit of exercise and fitness in your life. And so if you didn't make it last week, haven't registered, you can still come. Uh, You can register before you leave uh, today. You can come tonight at four o'clock. It's uh, about an hour. And uh, if you need childcare, make sure you sign up today before you leave so we can prepare for that. But excited for that. And um, I think several, the the weather's really kind of messed with our Think Guide books. They were supposed to be here a couple weeks ago, but because of the weather, uh, our our printer wasn't in, in the office much, but we do have some of them. So if you order those, you can go check those out and grab those today. Um, so we are in a series entitled Happily Ever After. And so uh, last week, Pastor Greg did a great job really starting us off with the concept that we, when we get married, are, are making a covenant, not a contract. And so we looked at kind of how that impacts our marriage and our life. And so this series is really focusing on marriage. We're going to get into parenting. Um, today really hits everybody. So it's not just for married people. It really kind of hits us on all levels. Um, if you're single, maybe one day you're hoping to be married, uh, take really good notes and uh, you'll, you'll avoid some of the mistakes maybe that I made and some of us uh, who are sitting in here made. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we want to focus our marriage on Christ. As the couples in the video showed, um, we really want to point our attention to who he is today and focus on that. And I just want to start with a question today. And this one is, is first for the ladies. So ladies in the room, how many of you, when you were a little girl, you absolutely dreamed about getting married? You had this image of what this guy uh, was going to look like. You had names for your children picked out and you imagined him rubbing your shoulders and rubbing your feet every night before you went to How many of you would say as a little girl, I dreamed about some of that stuff by show of hands, let me see, all over the room? Yeah, absolutely, ladies uh, uh, admitting to that dream. Now, how many of the men in the room would say, I had that same dream about naming my kids? Nobody, no men, don't, don't don't even pretend like you had that dream. I know what you were dreaming. You were dreaming the same thing I was dreaming. We were gonna have sex twice a day, every day. And three times on Sunday, yeah. It's okay. And we're like, we're in church. Should we be admitting that? Yeah, he created it. It's a good thing. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. Guys, you're not going to want to miss that one. All right. Um, so, so yeah, we, we have uh, different expectations when it comes to marriage. And, and really, I would say that a lot of our problems, a lot of the tension in our relationships have to do with what I expect of my wife and what she expects of me. And, and that's why there's a lot of tension in the first you know, three to seven years of our, of our marriages because we're still trying to figure a lot of that stuff out. And, and on top of that, we grow up watching these Disney movies. And these Disney movies have the, you know, the handsome prince gets the princess and they, you know, have a, a, a journey together all leading up to the big wedding day and celebration. And it ends in the horse-drawn carriage with happily, and they lived happily ever after. And what the movie doesn't show you and where the horse should be taking them is to a counseling center, right? Because they're jacked up. They need help. And we all need help on uh, different levels in our marriage. If you would say that you don't need any help, um, then, then I would just call you a liar because we all need help. We all need some form of, of advice, of counsel, um, because we didn't go through the class in high school. Nobody taught us how to do this. And so there's naturally going to be a lot of challenges as we look at pursuing our spouse and 
Let's talk to the guys for a minute. Now, guys, you know, we, we did a really good job convincing our, you know, would-be spouse to marry us. We were passionately pursuing her. We convinced her that we were the one for her, didn't we? We did a good job and we went out of our way. We got creative about it. I mean, we would do some things that we, we aren't doing anymore. We just have to be honest. I remember like dating Micah and I was like writing these love letters to her. You know, it's like, I think about him right now and it makes me, I just threw up in my mouth. So it, 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 or it makes, you know, I think she still gets teary-eyed when I bring it up. But, but the reality is I don't do that anymore. And chances are you're not doing that anymore either if you've been married for any longer than a week or two. And so, so we have these issues in, in, in marriage where we're pursuing her, we're, we're, we're convincing her that we're the one for her, and then we get married. And the pursuit of this woman then begins to turn to a pursuit of something else. Because in our DNA, how God has made us, we like to conquer things. As men, we like to hunt and kill stuff. We like to spit. We, you know, look forward to going to the bathroom. We just have weird things, you know, that we just do. And, and we like to climb stuff and conquer things. And when we conquer something like, oh, got a woman, got a wife. Fuck, convince somebody to marry me. Bless God. You know, it's then it's like challenge met what's next? And so we look to business and we look to finance and we look to whatever else that next pursuit is going to be for us. And, and so the challenge is how do we pursue her? How do we continually pursue her? Because just because we got her to say yes, doesn't mean that the pursuit is over. And the same can be said about ladies. I mean, ladies, you were pursuing a guy too. You know, you have your different ways. It's not like our ways, but you have your ways and you enticed and you, you know, you had the dating you and then the, the married you showed up, you know, it's like, what happened to dating you? I liked her. I don't know what happened to, you know, that dating girl, but, but it ain't the same person, you know? And so we're like scratching our heads. And, 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 and so what happens in a, a lady's life is, okay, I need a man. I got a man. And so we're, we're married and now I want some babies, you know, let's get some kids in the, up, up in here. And so we, we go for the kids and then maybe you get a couple of kids. And so your pursuit of a man turns in your pursuit of a child, turns in your pursuit of making those ch- children happy, and so the husband can become just some dude that you're living with that helps you pay the bills. And so, so the pursuit of our spouse is an incredibly important concept. No matter how long we've been married, the idea is that we want to continue to pursue that relationship. So how do we pursue that relationship? How do we allow that to be an, an important part of our marriage? Well, let me start with this. In order to get the answer to that question, perhaps the biggest problem that you are facing in your marriage has nothing to do with your spouse and what he or she is doing or not doing. What if the biggest and the deepest issue that you have as a married couple has nothing to do with your sex life or bad communication or your in-laws or your finances? Those are just all kind of surface levels to a deeper issue which is perhaps your faith or lack of faith in Jesus. What if at the end of the day, take away all the behavior issues, all the problems, all the arguments, all the the issues that you're going back and forth on and you have tension in your relationship with, at the end of the day, what if the deepest, darkest part of why you are having issues is your lack of faith in Jesus? So, To answer that question, let's go to my main point today, which is this. Your pursuit of Christ will elevate your pursuit 
of your spouse. So, so in order to get my marriage right, in order to, to really pursue her again and, and really develop that love relationship and to overcome these issues that we have, I've got to back way far up, go a little bit deeper than just surface level stuff. And I have to see, okay, where is my pursuit of Jesus? What am I doing and, and, and how is that relationship growing? Because at the end of the day, if I am pursuing Jesus, then my, I'm, I'm learning more about him. I'm growing in what I know about him. I'm developing the fruits of the spirit in my life. And as I'm growing in that relationship with Christ, that in turn affects how I deal with my wife, how I, I have patience with her or no patience with her, how I'm, I'm, I'm dying to my needs and what I want and elevating her needs and elevating her wants and, and loving her as Christ loves the church. See, I can never get to that kind of deep love unless I myself am pursuing Jesus above all else. Like he is my priority. He is my first love. And so the best thing, the greatest thing you could ever, ever, ever do for your wife, for your husband is to love God, to pursue Jesus Christ first in your life. Now, if we're gonna do that, let's ask another question, which is how does God fit into your life? Let me ask it this way. How, how does God fit into your marriage? How does he fit into your marriage? Let me, let me give you a, a little illustration. Um, let's, let's pretend for a minute that this bag represents your capacity. Let's, let's, let's imagine for just a moment that this bag really kind of represents your time. So the time that you have is just like my time. There's 24 hours in a day. So everything that you're doing in your life can kind of fit in this bag, okay? So let's start with what fills this space up. And, and we'll start with this briefcase because this briefcase represents your job. This is your career. This is your employment. And, and so it's, it's kind of big compared to the bag because let's just face it, it takes up a lot of our time. So we're going nine to five or, or even more than that. Maybe we get a day off. Maybe you get Saturdays off. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it takes up a lot of room in the bag, okay? And so then we kind of look at some other things. We kind of have this, this little lunchbox here. This kind of represents, okay, we've got kids. And if you've got kids, you know that it takes up a lot of your time. It takes up a lot of your time. And so if your kids are in, in school, you know that you're packing this thing every day, right? And so you're helping with homework. And so you're, you're helping study for tests and you're helping with math. What's up with math these days? It's like changing. But anyway, so like it takes a lot of our time and, and so we wanna, we wanna pack this because this is taking up a lot of our time. And then we've got um, the activities that our kids are involved in. So this basketball represents whatever activities they're in. Maybe it's football, baseball, uh, whatever sport it is, or maybe they're in band, whatever activity your kids are doing. A lot of parents feel like they're chauffeurs running around doing this, doing that all the time. And so this kind of takes up that space in our life because let's just face it, it takes up a lot of time. And then we've got, who's gonna clean the house? And we got laundry to do. And at my house, there's always laundry to do. It's like a never ending you know, journey of clean clothes. And so it's like that, it's like vacuuming, it's taking out the trash. It's, it's all those little things in our life that has to be done. Our toilet needs to fix, you know? Who's gonna fix the toilet? And, and, and who's going to Lowe's to get the stuff? And it's just like a never ending process, but we gotta find time for this kind of thing. And so we gotta, we gotta kind of find room for that. And then, well, we live in East Tennessee. <clears throat> so let's just be honest. I mean, 
you know, football time is coming. And even though it's not fall, we're still spending a lot of time watching, you know, Sports Center. We're still reading stuff on the internet. We're still following Butch. We're still interested in what's going on um, in that environment. And so we've got football. And so we're going to pack that away and find some space for UT football, Maryville football. And then we've got, well, this is our cell phone. Statistics say that we look at this thing 500 times a day on average. Some of you more because you're on social media and you're always checking your Facebook and see how many people are liking your stuff and whatnot. And, and so we, 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 got, we got room for that. So we're going to throw that in there. And then, well, We've got, we've got entertainment. So this is a remote control. So the TV is, is taking up about three hours of our time and that's on average three to four hours. You know, we go home, kind of veg out on some TV, watch a movie or something before bed. And so, okay, we've got room for that too. And you can see that it's kind of filling up. And then we're like, awesome. All right, here's my life. And I think I can barely, if I push it down really hard, I feel like I can fit it all in. Oh, wait a minute. We, we forgot God. We love God. We live in the South, and so we're going to go to church somewhere, and, and God's important because we believe, we have faith, God bless America, and so we're going to look at God, and we're going to say, all right, here's God's word, and uh, we're going to add God, you know, we're going to fit him into this schedule here, and so let me, well, shoot, it's not, I could take this out, I don't know, that ain't happening, put that back in there, so man, what can I do? What, what are we going to do? We can't, we can't really, we can't fit it in there. I know what we can do. Here's what we can do. We can, we can fit this much, this much of God fits. This is about an hour every Sunday. And look at that. Fits like a glove. Boom. And now we're good to go. And now everything barely bulging out, barely here. I can get it all kind of into my capacity of, of, of life. But then we've got to kind of slow down. We've got to ask ourselves the question, is this the life that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins for? Is this the kind of lifestyle that we're saying we're okay with? We're okay with all of this stuff taking up all of this room and only just sliding a little bit of God in so that we can say we went to church. I think that for us is the question when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, are we just fitting him into our schedule or is he dictating our schedule? Are we just fitting him in or is he actually fixing our schedule and, and, and we have submitted to him and he is everything to us. And so to really answer that question, then I think we should like ask Jesus that question. If, 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 if the question is how do we fit God into our, our life or, or how should we fit God into our life, let's just ask Jesus. Let's see what Jesus would say and then we can um, uh, make adjustments afterwards. So let's go to Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse 25 because I think he gives us exactly what we need to understand as it relates to our spouse, as it relates to our commitment to him. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them. So it's just pause. Let's notice that great crowds are now following Jesus. So we don't know how many, but maybe a few hundred, a couple hundred, it's at least in the hundreds. And there's a great 
crowd that's following him. And in this crowd, you would see the committed, those who have committed their life to him. So the 12 disciples and other disciples would have, have been in that crowd. His enemies would be in that crowd as well. So, so people that were looking for uh, things that he's doing wrong or things that he's not doing quite up to par. So, you know, that, those that would, you might just call critical or kind of examining his life. And then you've got those who are, are thinking about, man, well, maybe I should follow him. Maybe he is the Messiah. And so they're following him to try to see if, if okay, I'm, I'm gonna see and kind of evaluate and, and maybe I will. And so they're kind of contemplating whether or not they're gonna follow Christ or not. And, and I would say that that's pretty much um, is summing up this crowd this morning. Because in this crowd this morning, there are those that are committed there are those that are contemplating, maybe I should follow him, maybe a friend invited you or your spouse wanted to come and so you're here because it's a marriage you know, series and so you're like, oh, here I am. And maybe you're the antagonist, maybe you've been you know, uh, an atheist or um, you, you, know, you kind of you know, believe in God maybe, but you're not sure, you're trying to check out the whole Christian thing. But, but Jesus here kind of, my, my point here is that Jesus is talking to all of us right now, no matter where you would, would fall along that spectrum. And then he says in verse 26 to all of us, he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's powerful words. He says, anyone who comes to me, what that phrase comes to me means is anyone that would come to Jesus for salvation, anyone that would say I'm a follower of Christ, anyone that would say I'm a Christian, anyone that would say that, that yes, I believe in Jesus. So anyone that comes to him for salvation, that's who he's speaking to. And he's saying anybody that would come to me for salvation, anybody that would come to me for, for heaven, here's what the expectation for you is. Hate your father, mother, hate, listen, hate your wife. Now, some of, some of the dudes in the room are thinking, are you telling me that Jesus Christ is saying to hate my wife? Well, praise God, I got something right. I'm following, I, I got it right. There's one thing, check, I got it, you know? It's like, no, that's not what he means here. All right, so let's back up. So when Jesus says to hate our family, essentially, hate our wife, to hate our brothers, what, what he's saying there is he's assuming a couple of things. And the first thing he's assuming um, is that we understand that this is a hyperbole. This is exaggeration. This is so, so far out there, exaggerated, that he would, he would call us to pay attention and to think through this statement. And so he's assuming that we get the exaggeration. We know that Jesus doesn't teach us to do this. It tells us in Matthew, um, uh, we see in Matthew chapter 15 that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. We see in Luke 6, Jesus is teaching to do good to those who hate us. And in 1 John 3, it says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So anytime we come to an obscure passage in the scripture, we want scripture to interpret scripture. In other words, if you don't understand something, you want scripture to help you um, interpret that scripture. And so obviously Jesus isn't telling us to hate our family. This is actually a Hebrew phrase that, that means to love less. So it's an exaggerated statement that means to love our family less than we love God. So when you put it into perspective, what he's saying here is that your family and what they want should never trump what Jesus wants in your life. 
What your mother and father want you to do should never trump what God is asking you to do. So here's an example. If you're in a rough relationship and your father is telling you that you should divorce your wife, then you read the scripture and you see that there are only two exceptions for divorce according to Jesus. And neither one of those exceptions are your situation. And so you can either love your father and his opinion more, or you can love Jesus more and follow his call on your life and and not get the divorce. And so what Jesus is saying is to love your family less. So to love your spouse less than Jesus. And that's that's the point, that we put him first. We pursue Jesus first above all else. We we. We submit ourselves to him. We follow him. We, we deny what we want. Yes, our father, our mother, our brothers, our sisters, even our own children, our own, our own wife. But then he closes the statement with his own life. So we love Jesus more than we even love our own life. And he says, if you want to be my disciple, this is what it looks like. In other words, you cannot be my disciple if you don't get this. And then he continues in verse 27. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, bear my cross, bear his own cross or carry your own cross. What does that mean? Sometimes we interpret it as, you know, whatever ailment or bad situation we're in that we can't get rid of is like our cross to bear. So I've got a bad back and it's just always painful. So it's just my cross to bear. I've got a bad wife and I'm going to endure it. And it's just the cross I have to bear. That, that, that's not what he means. What he means, like, like imagine when Jesus was carrying the cross and, and the Bible says that he, he fell and he, and he dropped and he couldn't carry it. And so one of the Roman soldiers asked another man to come and carry it for him. And so the idea is is that picture here. And so the picture for us is that when we bear our own cross, we are putting Jesus on display in our life. So I'm putting Jesus on display at work, at home, everywhere that I go, that Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my king, that, that he is real. He is right. He is my God and I serve and love him and I put him first. And so I'm not keeping him a secret. I'm not hiding him. He is in front of all to see. I am bearing the cross. I am displaying to the world that I belong to Jesus And so Jesus says, if you're not willing to do that, then you can't be my disciple. You can't have a a private faith in your back pocket and pull out the card when it's time to go to heaven. I know I haven't really followed you, Jesus. And I I went to church a few times and and I treated my wife horribly. I cheated at work. And I mean, there really is no fruit at all. But remember, I prayed that prayer when I was in middle school. And so here's my get out of hell card. And so thank you for letting me in. I'll take the little shack on the end. It don't work like that. He says, you don't, you don't get a little bit of me. You don't get a little bit of heaven. You cannot be my disciple if you don't understand this, if you don't live this way. And so then he gives us a couple of very important uh, examples. In verse 28, he continues, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and he was not able to finish. So the point Jesus gives us this example of a guy who wants to build a tower. 
He says, if you're gonna go on a construction site and you're gonna build a house, you're gonna build a tower, whatever you're gonna build, you're gonna do a budget. You're gonna count the cost. How much time is it gonna take? How much money is it gonna take? Am I gonna be willing to finish this project? Because I don't wanna be the idiot who starts something and can't finish it. And so in the same way, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you're gonna plan and you're gonna sacrifice on the front end before you even make the commitment to build. And so he's very clear about what it means to follow him. It's not easy. Jesus says, wide is the gate that, that many will follow. But to follow me, he says that the gate is narrow. And so the idea for us is when we are truly a disciple of Christ, then we are sacrificing and planning for discipleship in our life. And we are, we are counting the cost of what it means to follow him. And we're willing to, to sacrifice and willing to give up everything necessary for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. His next, next example has to do with the king going to war. And he says this in verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, great way off, then he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. <laughs> so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So the idea is that here's this king. He's got 10,000 10, soldiers and he's about to go to war with another king who has 20,000 so soldiers. And when he finds that out, He's like, oh, wait, hold up. We need to get the delegation together and we're gonna send them while they're far away so we can negotiate some terms of peace. And, and so the point is that the king is willing to sacrifice what he wants, victory on the battlefield, for the sake of his soldiers to, and, and their life. So he's gonna sacrifice what he wants for the sake of others. And so the point, again, Jesus says, if you're gonna follow me, then you've gotta understand that following me means that you're going to sacrifice for me. And you're willing to give up what you want for the sake of others in this world, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the gospel. And so I'm giving up and I'm sacrificing what I think I want for the good of the gospel. And he says, that's what it means to be my disciple. And if you're not willing to do that, you cannot be my disciple. In fact, he says, if, you, if you're not renouncing all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. So when I look at that, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm thinking, God, I do love you. I, I, I've committed my life to you and I'm, I wanna serve you and I wanna follow you. And I read this and I'm like, am I renouncing all? Can I honestly say to my people on Sunday morning that I'm renouncing everything for the glory of God? I can, I can look back at my life and I can say, this was a season where I was given everything I had. I moved away from family. I gave up finances. We, we were broke, dirt poor for years and, and we gave up everything to pursue ministry. And we, we gave it to you, God. And, and then I can look and I can see seasons of, yeah, this. And then I can see seasons in my life where, where man, I wasn't given and renouncing all. I was living for my own comfort. And I think, God, God, this is a, this is a, a, a challenge that is so heavy. There is so much weight to this that I don't care how long we've been a Christian that, that we, should, we should like wrestle with this concept. And, and for those believers in the room that, that, that have followed Christ for years, 
and you're wrestling with this, there's a whole nother set of people in the room. And basically for you, religion is uh, what's in it for me. I'll go to church if God does something for me. I'll, I'll you know, do something for God if he's gonna give me more money, if he's gonna give me better stuff, if he's gonna fix my wife, then I'll come and then I'll, then I'll do whatever he wants me to do. And it's about me and it's about what I can get out of faith. And it's like, I read the Bible and it's like, it's like this has nothing to do with what we want. This has everything to do with God's purpose and God's plan. And if we can just wrap our minds around our pursuit of Jesus, then our relationship with our wife, our relationship with others, how we live this life, all of that stuff begins to work out. And and, and in my life, I'm able to display the fruits of the Spirit as Christ would call me to toward my wife. But I can't do that if I'm not pursuing Him. If I'm pursuing my own kingdom, I'm not pursuing His kingdom and and I can't be His disciple. The greatest thing I could ever do for my wife, Micah, is to love God, to pursue Christ, to put him first in my life. And I love what Gary Thomas says in Sacred Marriage. He says this, he says, what if God didn't create marriage for your happiness, but instead he created it for your holiness? Kind of punches me right in the face. Because at the end of the day, I mean, Happily ever after is kind of what I had in mind when I got married. Like she's gonna make me happy and we're gonna do stuff and we're gonna have fun and it's gonna be like an enjoyable season. And it's like, no, wait a minute. There are seasons of happiness in marriage, don't get me wrong. But there are seasons when 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight become a reality. Here's what Paul says about marriage. He says, but those who marry will face many troubles in life. And I wanna spare you of this. Guys, they didn't teach us this in Sunday school. (laughs) They skipped over this verse. It's like, whew, we didn't even talk about that. You know, I didn't even understand. We didn't even know that was in the Bible back in the day when we were single, did we? In Paul's context here, he's talking about um, living a single life. And he's saying, "I, I, I wish that everybody would just be single because that means you have more time, more finances, more energy to focus on the kingdom. But he says, if you're burning with passion, in other words, you wanna have sex, then then get married, but I'm just warning you on the front end, there's gonna be a ton of problems. And it's like, bro, the Bible is correct. You know, it's like, it really is true. And, and it's, like, it's like, we experience these troubles. The Bible told us we were gonna have them, but we still argue with God. I married the wrong one. Married the wrong person. They're not doing what I want them to do. God, what am I supposed to do? There's two exceptions for divorce. Other than that, every problem Even those two problems, we're not commanded to divorce. He's just giving exceptions. But even in those situations, I've seen people forgive, commit them, recommit their life to Christ and work through issues. There's not an issue that you brought into this room that that God can't solve in a marriage. I see way too many marriages ending over little things and it all boils down to our selfishness. And we think about this, is God really wanting us to marry for for our happiness or, or, or is the holiness thing really legit? Well, because here's what's crazy. This is insane, all right? You ready for this? Here's what's insane about us as human beings. We will look for something or, or we will want something from someone else that only God can provide. So I will look to my spouse to do something for me that only God can do, but I expect her to do it. And that main issue is happiness. My wife, she, she, she does a really good job. I can't complain. She does excellent 
at, at making me happy and, and serving me. But I'm gonna tell you right now, every time I talk about marriage, Satan attacks our family. Every time. And, 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 and just kind of coming through a rough week of what that looks like. It doesn't matter how awesome your spouse is. Every single one of us can relate to this. There are seasons in our life that it ain't so happy, you know? And we think that, well, if she would do more of this, then I would be happier and things would be better. But the truth is, if she did everything that you expected her to do, you still would feel that ache. And here's why. Because God created me and he created you with a spirit that craves God. He created us with a spirit that craves him and and that craving can only be satisfied with him. And so we interpret this pain in our heart. We interpret this, this craving and longing in our heart wrongly when we feel it and experience it and we blame our spouse for not addressing it and fixing it. It's impossible for her to do so. She's not God. And until you pursue Jesus, and find satisfaction and happiness and comfort until you understand who you are in Christ, until you receive Christ, first of all, in your life, that void, that pain, that ache is never satisfied. And you can spend the rest of your life pointing your finger at your spouse, pointing your finger at people at work, how they're all, you know, you're always the victim and it's always other people's fault, it's never your fault. And if you're that person, you're gonna be miserable forever. There's nothing that's gonna fill this, this ache, this, this, this longing other than Jesus Christ. And so he says, we renounce everything. We renounce everything for the sake of, of Christ. And if I really wanna see God change my marriage, I need to concentrate on changing me, not changing my spouse. And that's what I see so many times in, in, in families. It's, it's he did this and he did this and pointing the finger and, and she's all the time pointing the finger and it's like, I mean, until you are ready to deal with you, nothing's gonna change. Because if you're not dealing with you, even if she does this and that, that you think is gonna be great for you, it's still gonna be restless inside your spirit without Christ. I think it's utterly insane to try to find something from another person that only God can provide. We all have a certain capacity. Uh, Let me explain it like this. Uh, I'm an Apple product guy, so... If, if Apple makes it and I need it, I'm gonna get it from Apple. And, and so I've got this MacBook Pro, it's like 16 gigs of, of whatever and 1600 megahertz of blah, 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 DDS4. I don't know if you're, if you're a computer geek, you're like, yeah, yeah. And the rest of us are like, we don't care. Does it work? Is it fast? Yes, does it crash? That's what we're concerned about. And so this machine is incredible. It's got tons of memory. It all, I mean, it's super fast. It's an incredible machine. I've had it for a couple of years and it's just amazing. It's never let me down. I love it, love it, love it. But the other day I'm working, doing my deal and all of a sudden a little notification kind of bloop pops up and it says that my startup disk is full. And so again, Computer geeks are like, oh, well, I know what you need to do. But I had to Google it. So I'm like, I don't know what this means. And so I figured out what it basically means is that the memory on my hard drive is, is, is full. And so I've got to delete some files if I want to be, you know, to continue to use this the way that it's supposed to be run and, 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 and used. And, and so it's like, okay, it's got a certain capacity, as awesome as it is, as fast as it is, as, as, as pretty as it is. Like it has a capacity, And in the same way, your spouse has a certain capacity. 
She can only give and do so much. She is not God. Ladies, there's only so much a man can do for you. There's only so much confidence he can try to build in you. But at the end of the day, he's only got about 16 gigabytes, right? He's got a capacity. That's all he can do to help you. The only one that can take you to full capacity in your own heart is Jesus Christ. Stop looking to your spouse to meet all of your needs. Marriage is not about him or her meeting everything that you have because at the end of the day, they can't. Pursue Christ and your pursuit of your wife will be elevated. The pursuit of your husband will be elevated. And so we must pursue Jesus above all else. So, so we, don't, we don't fill the bag and then try to fit him in. We like put him in first, all of him, everything he calls us to be and to do. And then we allow the other things to filter through after that commitment has been made. So how do we practically put Jesus first? How do you practically put Jesus first in your marriage and pursue him? Okay, so this is gonna blow your mind. You ready? Pray together. Oh, I knew he was gonna say that. Pray together. You've heard this before. Couples who pray together, stay together. I would say couples, I don't wanna just stay with my wife though. You know, whoever came up with that, that's kind of lame. I don't wanna just stay with her. I want it to be incredible. I want it to be awesome. I want the sex to be amazing. I want the relationship to be amazing. I want the family to be amazing. I want us to do amazing things. And so if I want that, then I would say we pursue Jesus first. And then the pursuit of our spouse is elevated. And, and if, I, if, if I'm really gonna do that, then very simply, very practically here, we pray together. We pray together and, and we pray together before every meal and we pray together at least once a week together. So maybe, maybe you know, you're like, man, we need to pray every day together. Maybe you're already doing that and that's awesome. But at the very end of the day, we pray over our meals together and each one of our kids takes a turn no matter what, it, we, we go by days so nobody argues and fights. We go by days, Monday is this one, Tuesday is this one and, and we pray over every meal together and then, and then we're, we're, we're encouraging each other to pray at least once a week where it's just us, no kids, no nothing and we go through our prayer list and what needs to take place and, and so I wanna ask you to do something today. I wanna ask you to make a commitment to begin to pray with your spouse. Now here's what, Family Life says. Family Life is an organization that did research several years ago and they, they, they researched thousands of different Christian couples and the, the statistics came back that less than 8% of Christian couples actually pray together. Less than 8%. That would mean in a room this size, there's only a few of you that are actually doing this. What they also discovered is that of that 8% of, of couples that are praying together, less than 1% ever got a divorce. So statistically today, they say that 50 to 55% of all marriages will end in divorce. So we can go that route if we want to. Take, roll the dice and take your chances. Or we can pursue Christ, pray together, and our chances are less than 1% that we won't flourish and we won't grow and we won't love and we won't raise godly children. Here, here's the deal. If I'm praying with my wife, chances are I'm gonna go to church with her if I'm praying with my wife, chances are we're gonna be in healthy relationships in small groups. Chances are we're gonna serve together. Um, ch chances are, if I'm praying with my wife, it's a lot uh, harder to have the argument of you're an idiot, you're stupid, don't talk to me. <laughs> 
You know that argument? Are we the only one that ever had that one? I'm sorry. <clears throat> it's a lot harder to have an affair on your spouse when you're praying for your sexual purity. Hey guys, it, it's a lot harder to be addicted to pornography when you're praying on a regular basis with your spouse. So here's what I'm saying. Go the world's way or put Jesus first. The greatest thing you could ever do for your spouse is to love Jesus and pursue him with a reckless abandonment, forsaking all and, and, and following him and putting him first in your life. So I wanna ask you guys to make a decision. Let me, let me first ask you to bow your heads. I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, we, we are gonna make that commitment to pray together. We're, we're gonna pray together and um, we wanna do that. And, and guys, I wanna, I wanna ask you to make that commitment visibly today by taking your spouse's, your wife's hand. And uh, if you're willing to, to, to begin to do that, or maybe you're already doing that and you're just saying, yeah, we're recommitting to this, but we're gonna pray together as a couple starting this week. If you're willing to do that all over the room, take your spouse's hand and lift it up right now all over the place. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna lift it up. We're gonna pray together. Let's lift it up. You can put it back down. Praise God. God's about to do something incredible in your life. God's about to change things. He's about to move things. And some of you are like, I raised my hand, bro, but I don't know what that's gonna look like and I've never done that. And, and you're, just gonna, you're just gonna trust that your wife is not gonna freak out if all you give her is a 20-second prayer. It's like, that's all I got. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I love my wife. Help us to do better. And you're good. You know, for some of you, you're, you're used to prayer. You're just not doing it with your wife. So maybe you're gonna spend 15 or 20 minutes doing that. For others of you, this is brand new to you. So it's gonna be a short and quick. And wives, I just wanna tell you, be patient and encourage. And together you pursue Christ. Because if together you are pursuing Christ, together your relationship will be elevated. Now for some of you, as we continue to pray, for some of you, the reality is you're far from God. You read this passage of scripture and you're like, Jesus is saying to do this stuff and, and if we don't do this stuff, then I, I can't be his disciple. And if that's true, then, then, then the reality is I guess I'm, I'm not his disciple because I'm kind of like the bag deal at the beginning that you started talking, Trent. I, I kind of fit God in and for the most part, I don't, I, don't, I don't even fit him in. Christianity for me is about coming to church maybe once a month or once every other week and I'm not really involved. And truth be told, I've not really given my life to Christ. And, and today, some of you are gonna do that. Some of you are gonna, you know, for the first time, reject, renounce what you want. And I'm no longer gonna serve what I want. Instead, I want what God wants. And today, I wanna turn from my sin and turn towards Jesus. And, and I wanna call on him and trust in him to make me new. And when you do, he will change your life. He will allow the spirit of God to live within your own heart, your own spirit, and he will change everything. He'll change every desire that you have for the good of your marriage, for the good of your own life, for the good of your family. And for some of you in this room, that's the first decision you need to make because you've never done that. And so I wanna lead you in a prayer today. If that's you, and if, that's, if this is the time some of you are like, you know what, I need this, I, 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 I want this, then, then we're gonna say this prayer. We're gonna give everything, renounce everything and give it to Christ once and for all, right here, right now. And you just simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross 
for my sin and you rose from the grave and I place my faith and trust in you today. Thank you for saving me and give me the spirit of God to live for you for the rest of my life. Now in that short, simple prayer, if that's the first time you've done that or maybe this is the first time you've actually meant it, then I want you to bear your cross today and I want you to tell somebody and put Jesus on display. Tell your wife as soon as this service is over, you're in the car and you're saying, honey, I gave my life to Christ today and this is the first time and I mean this and this is changing my life. And for some of you, I wanna encourage you to go to the prayer and care room and tell them and just let them love on you because the next step for you is baptism. And so, so how do you put Christ on display? Well, you tell the whole church that you have committed your life to him and we do that in baptism. And so that's the next step. And I wanna encourage you before you leave today to go in that room and just say, I received Christ today and I wanna be baptized and I'm ready to do this deal and no matter where you're at no matter what you're doing we want to pursue Jesus God is going to change us God is changing marriages if we pray together I'm just telling you your life will begin to change you'll see God answer prayer your faith will grow your marriage will grow you'll be different in front of your kids everything changes when we pursue Christ first in our life Heavenly Father you saw our hands you saw that we are committing to pray. We're committing to connect with you, to put you first in our life. And Lord, as we do this, we pray for your strength and your guidance. And, 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 and Lord, we pray for your endurance. It's not gonna be easy for some of us. And so we, 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 we ask that your strength would, would give us boldness and give us energy and focus that we would think through this, God. And, and we would not let the worries of the world swamp us, that we don't think of you and put you first and we pray that you'll change our marriages and strengthen them. Our church will only be as strong as these relationships and so we're asking that you change us and we invite your spirit into this place, into this congregation to change us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.